If you've got some spare time during the week, get with Pastor Darlene, Catherine, or Ava. We could do with some volunteers for cleaning the church. Um, I saw the fanciest vacuum cleaner I ever saw today. And if you like technology, come get on board because this is a fancy one. And uh, you'll love it. it. You won't even feel like you're cleaning. It's that good. It's that fancy. You'll feel like you're... Uh, yeah, it's good. It looked like something that came out of the Star Wars. But uh, yeah, come on. We could use some help. I know yep. Pastor Darlene could use it. You know, and they're not going to... They're not going to hammer you guys because they're humble people. But, you know, you know, we need some help vacuuming the church. So we could do with some people, you know, putting their name on the roster and running a vacuum cleaner for a couple hours. Um, remember what Jesus said. If you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. Amen. Amen. And uh, this is his house. This is where he's called us to worship him. And uh, when you... Running that vacuum cleaner, you're vacuuming the Lord's house. You're doing it for Jesus. Amen. You're not doing it to impress, you know, pastors or anybody like that or any of our fellow membership. You're doing it unto Jesus. Amen. And you will feel the blessing of God, I promise you. So praise God. Um, all right, bear we good here. You got everything you need from me. Praise the Lord. Let's give a good warm of a hand for our tech team back there. Praise God. We appreciate them. Faithful, they're here. And uh, they're always here. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't, we don't, we don't need all of this PA, but it's sure good to have it. Amen. Amen. And uh, we couldn't do it without them. All right, let's go to the book of Acts. And, uh, While you're turning there, I'm going to remember to turn on my backup recorder. And remember, uh, you can get all of the uh, audio messages on the website, on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, and Podbean. So if you've got a smartphone, you can dial in on any of those, and you can listen to these messages in your car or wherever. Um, I, I, I think we're having, I don't know what's going on with the YouTube feed, but we are still getting it on Facebook Live, and we'll have to uh, look into the. Um, we'll have to look into what's happening on that uh, on that YouTube. So, if you're a big YouTube person, I apologize. But go to Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, or the website, and you can hear the messages. Praise the Lord! Book of Acts, chapter one. Everybody there? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures and for all the men and the women that have persevered over the centuries, Lord, that we might have the written word of God. Thank you, Lord, that your hand is upon your word. According to the uh, Psalms, you preserve your word for all generations. And Lord, we as a generation are here and we're the better for it, God. And Lord, we ask God as we read the scriptures together, Lord, like you've asked us to, like you've commanded us to, Lord, that we would not leave this place the same way we came. Let the hearing, the reading, and the teaching of your word, God, Lord, edify us to be more like you, Jesus. And everybody says, amen. All right, praise the Lord. 
Well, let's go to uh, chapter one, and we're going to pick it up at uh, verse eight. Now, just a quick recap from last week. We spoke about, we took an in-depth study into the commission, and we used all four gospels to teach us um, a little bit about each one. Everyone has a slightly different emphasis. We learned in the commission that we're to teach all nations, we're to preach the gospel, repentance and the remission of sin, all right? To turn from sin, and the great footnote in the King James, it says, repent not for, in other words, don't repent to get forgiveness, that would be works, we're saved by grace. The, the margin note there is repent because of the remission of sin. We turn from sin because he has forgiven us of sin, amen? And it's our, as, as Romans tells us in chapter uh, 12, it's our reasonable service to present our bodies holy and acceptable. I mean, it's the least we could do since Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and proved he was the Messiah by being raised from the dead. No other religious person on planet earth that has ever come in human history has ever walked out of a grave. Nobody, only Jesus Christ. All right. And that was God's stamp of approval to humanity that he's the one we should follow. And because he's done that, it's our it's my reasonable service to stop hanging out in dark places. Remember back in the old days when you used to club and Frank Sinatra's song would come on and, and you, they'd turn on all the lights and you'd look around, you'd be like, what kind of a dump is this place? I mean, when the lights came on, you couldn't believe what a hole you were standing in, you know? And, you know, it's our reasonable service to stop, you know, stop doing the things that you know we should not be doing. Amen? And so, uh, and so we're to preach repentance. You know, let's not back down in these last days to stop, to, to shy away from preaching you know, repentance of sin, amen, and that God has taken away our sin. And then we saw also that we're to move in signs and wonders, okay? Mark's gospel instructed us that we are to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, amen? You know, uh, the blind, the lame, you know, raised from the dead. You know, I like what this one preacher said. He says, uh, heal the sick, raise the dead. You know, no, it's not, we don't whisper raise the dead. It's, there's no, he, he didn't, that's not italicized there in that part. It's heal the sick, raise the dead, amen? Same thing, same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, it lives in you, amen, as the song tells us. So we're to repeat, we're, we're, to, we're to teach, we're to preach, we're to do signs and wonders, and then John instructed us to go in peace, Amen. And when you go in your ministry, you should be led forth in peace, praise God. And the peace of God um, will go before you. So that's what we, that was a little um, review of what we kind of talked about last week. And now we see one more um, commission that Jesus gives his disciples before he leaves the earth. In verse 8, he says, you shall receive power. Everybody say power. Power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon. Everyone say upon. upon. Upon you. And he and ye 
which means that's plural, that's you right there, okay? Anytime in the King James, you see the Y-E, ye, it's plural, the is singular, okay? So remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he says, ye must be born again. Who's he talking about? Everyone must be born again, even though he was talking to just Nicodemus. He didn't say, Nicodemus, thou must be born again. He said, ye must be born again. We all must be born again, praise God. And he says, ye shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world, all right? So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So if we talk about this, remember when Jesus sent out the 70 in the gospels, he told them, huh? he forbid them to go to Samaria. He wanted them to focus in Judea with just the nation of Israel. But now he is commissioning him to go to the world. And that is a great way to outline the book of Acts. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses unto Jerusalem and Judea. That ministry takes place between Acts chapter 1 through 7. All right? The ministry of Jerusalem and Judea is Acts chapter 1 through 7. And then he says, and then you'll go into Samaria. Well, the ministry in Samaria covers Acts chapter 8 through 12. All right? And then what's the last thing he said? We're here because they went to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the uttermost parts of the earth is Acts 13 through 28. But I know a couple couple times I've been saying that there's 29 chapters in the book of Acts. There's only 28 All right, but I like what Sister Ruth said. She wrote in her Bible, Acts chapter 29, continued, amen? We as the church, we are continuing. We are still in the book of Acts, amen? And we can also see that um, when we studied Revelations, when we looked at the churches through chapters two and three, that is the historical picture of the church that is still moving in the book of Acts, Now, I don't know why they call it the Acts of the Apostles. I guess the publishers decided that's what they were going to call it. Technically, if you study the scriptures, there's only three prominent people in that book of Acts. Peter, Philip, and Paul. It explains their ministry. I like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, amen? Because that's really what this book is about. Acts is about the Holy Spirit coming upon men and women to do the work of God, to be witnesses, all right? Now, we saw there that word power, um, that is the word like dynamite power, explosive power, amen? Um, When I first got saved, I got saved because I was convicted of my sin, I received forgiveness, you know, I started reading the Bible but I was still pretty timid. I was a, a kind of a, I, I wouldn't even lift my hands off the front row um, in front of me, you know. But when I was filled and the Holy Ghost come upon me, there was a power that was released. There was a, just a boldness that comes upon you when you have God's power on you. And we'll see that later on here. Um, the other thing is, is notice that it says come upon. Um, you've heard me teach many times, probably, that there are three uh, parts to the Holy Spirit's ministry. Um, the Holy, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you, but he shall be in you. 
What was he talking about there? That when the Holy Spirit, when he was saying is with you, the Holy Spirit is alongside of convicting the world of sin to turn to Christ. All right. And then once somebody turns to Christ, then the Holy Spirit is within. All right. Jesus breathed on him. He says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. That's the born again experience when somebody, when this, when your spirit man is awakened and the spirit of God is Christ in you, the Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of glory, all right? Then there's the upon, okay? And he says, the upon comes upon you. It is something that is, it just doesn't happen one time. The, when you were born again, you only get born again once, okay? But you have multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see how that happens on the, in the disciples here later on, all right? So, Say with, in, and upon, all right? Now, he says, you shall be my witnesses. Now, um, you know, the team in the uh, food pantry in, in, the, in the benevolence wing today are, were witnessing and telling people about Jesus and, you know, just sharing the love of God, handing out food, handing out meals and everything like that. And I saw Dan in there eating a bowl of chili and, you know, everybody was finished and... Um, Oh, man, what's her name? I forget her name. What's, what's her name? Uh, the one, huh? Natalie, Natalie. So Natalie uh, was saying, he's been witnessing to everybody. That's why I hadn't finished his bowl of chili. And, and that's true. How many know Dan can witness? Amen. He's a talker. He loves to share Jesus. And I've always thought of witnessing as sharing Jesus. And that's one aspect. But if you break down the word there, the word actually is the word where we get the word martyr from. Okay, we, now that gets, it gets real quiet in here when we talk about being a martyr. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to, you may end up giving your life for the Lord, but when you really break down witnessing for Jesus, what are you really doing? You have to die to yourself because it's not comfortable. It's not, put, it's not comfortable putting yourself in a position where you feel vulnerable for rejection, where you feel vulnerable about maybe offending that person you're talking to. So you literally really do have to take on, to be a witness, you have to have the Holy Ghost upon you for the boldness to say, hey, even if this costs me my life or my dignity or my pride or my comfort, I'm gonna speak the name of Jesus to this person, amen? So, um, so there you go. Now, verse nine, it says, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So he's talking and all of a sudden Jesus begins to ascend back to where he came from. Now, in verse 10, it says, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, all right? And it's possible that this is the same two men that were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it also says there was two men at the tomb when they came to see Jesus, all right? So it says two men stood by them. And how, how many know, how many, does it, how many does it take to be a witness Two, amen, takes two. That's why Jesus sends us out two by two. You know, when you go out and minister, it's, it's much easier to go out with somebody else, amen? And we should, 
We should. And if we know people are going out and they're witnessing and stuff, and you think and you know they're you know they're going out and you know they're alone, you should go with them. Amen. You shouldn't let them travel alone. Now, it says, um, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men. We read that, verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, everybody say, same Jesus. Amen. Amen. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So how did he go into heaven? In a what? A cloud. All right. Revelations tells us that he will come down in a cloud. Let's go there real quick. Revelations chapter 19. To the right there. Revelations 19. Um, let's see. Verse 11, say amen when you're there, 1911. It says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war, all right? And then it says later on in verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean, amen? And that's you. Zechariah tells us that he'll come with clouds, all right? This that he's speaking of is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, the second coming of Jesus Christ, for those of us in our Revelation study, when Jesus comes first, he'll be coming for the church. Now, we are not looking for Jesus to come to the earth or riding in a cloud coming to earth. We're looking for to be caught up with him in the cloud, all right? We'll be caught up with him. We're not looking for him to come down. If you are, oh boy, you want to be, be caught up. You don't want to be caught down here looking for him to come down. You want to be caught up and coming down with him, amen? That's where the church's rightful position is, all right? So the church, um, the descent of the Lord into the air to raise up the saints. And then when he comes back, he will... Bring Israel, deliver them from persecution and destruction. What the book was about. And we know, remember the story of Joseph and his brothers when they, they persecuted him and they put him in a pit and then he was taken away into Egypt. And then when his brothers saw him, they were sore afraid and they thought that he was going to treat them you know, with harm, maybe even execute him. Well, there's going to be a similar reunion when Jesus comes back for the nation of Israel. Just like Joseph loved his brothers and had mercy, and he reconciled them and said, this was for your salvation. You know, God, what you guys meant for evil, God has turned it around for good. Whew, praise God. The same way, what what the high priest Caiaphas and all the Jews had said, we've no other king but Caesar. Deliver him and give us Barabbas. You know, just like they, you know, treated Joseph, they treated Jesus. But when Jesus comes back, he'll say, what you guys have meant for 
evil, God has turned it around for good. Amen. Their evil is our salvation. Paul teaches us in the book of Romans. And so when Jesus comes back for Israel, he'll come back as a deliverer, not a punisher. All right. And then the last thing, though, it will be towards the Gentile nations. And Jesus will destroy the political system that has been anti-God from day one. Daniel's vision of the, of the statue shows all the different empires of the nation. And we're in the latter day empires now of the world system. The Bible calls cosmos. And in this last system that we're in, Daniel um, saw in the dream, he interpreted, Nebuchadnezzar saw a giant rock from a mountain carved not with hands that it came and it smote the feet of this statue and what represented the last empire and all the empires crumbled and he saw a great mountain ascend up out of the earth. And what is he talking about there? He's talking about when Jesus will come back and reign on this literal planet earth for a thousand years. You've heard me say many times, Jesus Christ, the man that rose from the dead, who is seated right now, he's, there's a real man in heaven with a real body. He will literally come back right here and he will rule over Claremont County, over Ohio, over the United States of America. This physical land that we stand on, Jesus will reign for a thousand years. Amen? Amen. And I'm looking forward to that. And so, um, and then I like, I like this little, uh, let me see if I can find this little note by how many ever listened to Vernon McGee Vernon McGee said the neatest thing here um, if I can find it here I wrote it down um, uh, let's see here we must not overlook the teaching of one great truth assailed so much in our times by higher critics and infidels. The Lord Jesus Christ passed through the heavens with a real glorified human body, a body of flesh and bones, and went with that body to a literal place called the throne of God, where he sat down and where he is now the man in ultimate glory. The denial of this fact, so universal in our day, strikes at the very foundation of the gospel, our salvation and our heavenly hope. This great truth that the Lord left bodily on his own and will bodily return to the Father is indisputable, seen in this account of his ascension. There is a man on the throne of the universe. Amen? And there is. And don't let anybody ever try to convince you otherwise. It's why it makes what we believe the truth. Because he's going to come just like he was. He proved it when he raised from the dead. He's going to prove it again when he comes back. So, why stand here ye gazing? In other words, don't be looking, don't be gazing, waiting for Jesus to come down. You're going to go up. And this same Jesus, you're going to come back down with him. And rule with him. Verse 12. Then they returned unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olive, which is from Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey. 
Um, you know, according to the Jewish law, Sabbath day, you were allowed to walk about a half a mile without breaking the law. All right. So they were about a half a mile away. And verse 13 says, and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James, John, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, which is another name for Nathaniel. All right. Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. All right. So they did as Jesus told them. They went and they're waiting. We established last last week that from the um, from Passover, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread from the Feast of Unleavened Bread to Pentecost is 50 days. In the first uh, verses, it said that Jesus was seen by over 500 witnesses. Paul tells us in his gospel, he was seen by over 500 witnesses and he walked and ministered unto them the things of the kingdom of God for 40 days. So Jesus was raised from the dead and he was walking on earth, showing himself to over 500 people for 40 days. And now he's ascended and now they're in waiting here and in 10 days will be the day of Pentecost. And we'll see that later on in chapter two, all right? So a um, couple of things to notice here in these verses. Number one, it says they all were in one accord and they were praying with the women and Mary. Were they praying to Mary or were they praying with Mary? They were praying with Mary, all right? Nowhere in the Bible here did Mary set herself up above and say, you know, everybody should pray to me. Um, Mary was right there with the disciples. As a matter of fact, this is the last time Mary's ever mentioned by name here, although she, she's the subject matter in John's third um, epistle. But the point being is, is that man has pushed Mary up into the forefront as a mediator between Jesus and in humanity, and it should not be that way. And false religion always does that. False religion always tries to set up their own idols. And I think it's a crying shame that, um, that this, is, this has happened because, you know, Mary was Pentecostal. Because she was in the upper room here and it says that they were all filled, right? Mary spoke in tongues, all right? So, you know, she, Mary was a believer. As a matter of fact, I think it's pretty great because Mary all this time was holding these secrets. And we know, according to the Gospels, that a lot of people didn't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. A lot of people think that, that Mary was playing the harlot and Joseph was trying to cover up her sin. And can you imagine having to live with that? My God. Can you imagine? And then all of now, she's justified, praise God. She, Jesus is raised from the dead. Not that she was probably looking for justification, but, you know, she is the, the sense of relief that, man, you know, she's right. This is the son of God, you know? Because remember, it says she pondered these things in her heart. And she said, be it according to your word, Lord. All right, but not only was Mary there with the, with the uh, rest of the disciples, but it says even some of his brethren were there. 
You know, the, we know that the, Jesus' brothers just looked at him like he was just a regular uh, sibling. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. But when he rose from the dead, they believed. Amen? And many of them became pretty prominent in the church. James and Jude, who we have record of in the scriptures, you know, they testified and they wrote, they wrote some of the Bible speaking about Jesus, all right? So we see that these different ones are with the disciples in the upper room. And I just wanted to bring that point out that, uh, that Mary was right there, that they pray, that Mary prayed, that they prayed with Mary, not to Mary, amen? Now, Look at verse 15. Now, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. All right? Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Now, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the reconciliation of Peter. I mean, if you go with me, look at uh, Mark chapter 16 real quick. We know that Peter... Peter has what I like to call foot and mouth disease. Open mouth, insert foot, amen? I have that problem sometimes, you know? Open mouth, insert foot. But, uh, but Peter, he always was, because he was so passionate, sometimes he'd let his mouth carry out before you know, he really knew what he was actually committing himself to. And we know that Peter said, you know, I'll die with you, Lord, you know, and, and Jesus said, no, Peter, we know the story. Before the, uh, the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me, all right? So now look over here in Mark chapter 16. Everybody there, say amen. So Mark chapter 16, and um, we know the story. Jesus denied the Lord, and look what Jesus says here in verse uh, seven. It says, But go your way and tell his disciples. Now, who's doing the talking here? Let's see. Entering the sepulcher, they, verse 5, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened. All right? And he said unto him, Be not affrightened, or be not afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, verse 6, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him, all right? In verse seven, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. Now, you notice the separation there, how he said, tell the disciples and Peter. See, right now, Peter is, he's, he's separated because he denied the Lord, all right? But we saw how lovingly John restored, uh, in, the, in the gospel of John, how Jesus restored Peter, Go over to the last chapter of John, I think it is. And it's um, in verse 15. This story, man, I almost cry every time I read it. Because they're, uh, let's just start at verse 4, man. It says, now when the morning was now come, this is John chapter 21, verse four, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, children, do you have any meat? Do you have any food? And they answered, no. 
And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find it. And they cast therefore, and now there were not a, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, that's how John always referred to himself in his own gospel. He said unto Peter, it is the Lord. See, they recognize the Lord. You know, remember how, because Jesus did that for him, that's how when he first called Peter, you know, when he couldn't catch anything, he said, throw it out on the other side. You remember that story? And now when, now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. So in other words, they fished, you know, they didn't have any clothes on when they're out there fishing, obviously. So he, he got dressed and he cast himself in the sea. He threw himself into the sea. And man, did he maybe have a, a remembrance of when he, the Lord said, call me to come out of the boat, Lord. Call me to come out of the boat. He cast him out of the sea. And the other disciple came in, a little ship, for they were not far from land but it was, as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and there was fish already on the fire. And Jesus said, bring the fish which you have caught. So you could just imagine Simon running to the Lord, running to the Lord. They have heard that he is risen. They had heard that he's alive. Peter's thinking, I'm such a failure. I wanted to do, I wanted to do so good for the Lord. I'm such a failure. Why, why couldn't I, you know, accomplish what I, was, I wanted to do? Why do I keep doing things that I say I'm not going to do, but I don't have the power to, to overcome them? I keep doing the same things I hate doing. And Jesus said to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples did ask, who are you? <laughs> Knowing that it was the Lord. Maybe they're like, well, I, I'm pretty sure this is the Lord, but I don't want to be, you know, this could be maybe a different guy. I'm not sure. I don't want to, you know. But no, verse 13, he says, Jesus then came and he took the bread and he gave it to him. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. Now, when they had dined, Jesus said unto Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Pointing to the fish. What was Peter's job? He was a fisherman. Remember when Jesus was crucified, Peter basically said, I'm walking away from the ministry. I'm going back to fishing. How many have ever felt like that? I'm walking away from this ministry. It's no good. I'm going back to my old job. I failed. He said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, What? Feed my lambs. Poimen, my lambs. All right, the word poimen there is to feed or bring to pasture. 16. And then he said to him again, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And he said, Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Feed my sheep. And then he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Jonas, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. Thou knowest that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So how many times did, G did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did Jesus restore him here? Three times, you see. And he restored him in the ministry. And what did he say? Feed my sheep. Okay. 
So now we see the restoration of Peter and he is back in the fold now, all right? Or before. So the, the thing is, you know, people wonder, you know, can you lose your salvation? Can you walk away from Jesus? I believe you can deny Jesus publicly before men and not be counted in the sheepfold. But I believe that Jesus can restore, just like he did Peter. Jesus can reconcile the heart and bring him back. You know, if, you, if you've committed your life to Christ and all of a sudden you, you get tempted by the devil and you go off into the world for a little bit and maybe you get, you know, involved with people that are bad influences and you, you know, say dumb things and you may deny the Lord even in front of your mom and dad or your siblings or whatever, your friends, and you're away from God. The Lord knows whose his own is. And the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus said, who the Father has given me, I will not lose. All right? They're in the Father's hand. They're in my hand together, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so the Lord knows, hey, I acted like I didn't know Jesus when I, you know, was in my 20s after I got out of the Navy. But he was faithful. He knew the commitment that I made when I was a young boy. And he knew I belonged to him and he would, he would not let me go. He, would not, he wrestled with me. Come back, come back. Now, in that moment, there was a moment where I thought, if I don't make this move now, I don't know whether his grace is gonna be back again to call me. I, I felt like this might be my final shot. Now, that's just me thinking. The Lord, not saying the Lord spoke that to me, but I had this overwhelming sense that if I don't make a move right now, I may not get another shot. You never know what could happen. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not deny the Lord why there is salvation today. So we see now in the book of Acts that Peter is now standing up among the disciples. He's standing up. And he says, we're back in Acts now. In those days, Peter stood up, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. And the number of them was about 120. Now, this is interesting. How many people did Jesus show himself to, according to Paul? 500. How many is in the room? 120. Where's the other 75%? They went to McDonald's, Pastor said, exactly. They went for a fish sandwich. You see, hey, it's, it's real. Parable of the sower. Four, good fe- four fields, right? Out of all four fields, only one soil held the seed. 25%. That's what Billy Graham used to say in Crusades. You know, you put out the gospel, right? Usually it is going to take root in about 25%. Why? Because narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. You know, yes, we have all the power, all the authority, and God has his people, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, we're just to sow the seed, plant the word, Give the appeal, call for salvation, and whatever happens, 
happens. Jesus showed himself to 500, but only 120 listened to him and went to wait for the promise of the Father. Interesting. So, he said, men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled. In other words, all scripture is inspired and all scripture will be fulfilled. Amen. And he said, this scripture must be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. All right. So what did David speak over in Psalms 41 verse nine? We see it prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed, that the Messiah would be betrayed into the hands of evil men. And I don't know offhand, I know a lot of study Bibles have the number, but there's, there's like, I think it was 3,000 prophecies. I, I, I'm not even gonna try to guess a number. But there are so many prophecies that speak of Jesus's life in his first um, coming here on earth, in his ministry on earth. It's astonishing how many fulfilled prophecies there are. Um, I heard a NASA uh, scientist that teaches the Bible, and, and, and when he did the math, um, it was literally impossible. It, it blew up the calculator when you tried to figure out what the actual chances would be for all of these things to be fulfilled by one person. And um, in Psalms 41.9, we have one of the Messianic Psalms here. And in verse 41, it says this, verse 9. Are you there? Look at this. Um, all right. Verse 9. Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus actually quoted that psalm in the book of John at the, t at the Last Supper when they asked about Judas. In John chapter 13, verse 18, he says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. You see that? The scripture must be fulfilled even to the betrayal of Jesus from a guy named Judas. All right? Paul told us in the, in the Bible, in his letters, he says, we're not to judge how God makes a vessel. A, one vessel of, to honor, one vessel to dishonor. We're not to sit there to try to figure it out. We're not God. He's God. And he'll do how he sees fit. We're not to judge why Pharaoh was the way he was or why Judas is the way he was or why the man of sin that will come in the tribulation is the way he is. God's in control. He's in charge. Amen. He's sovereign. But one thing we know, one of the wise is, is that the scripture might be fulfilled. Because everything that God does, he's already said he's going to do. Amen. And he says right here, Jesus quoting the psalmist of David, he says, he that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. All right. And then in Matthew 27, it talks about what happened there with the betrayal. And I'm giving you some background here because it talks about this in Acts. 
but it's more clear in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 27, verse 3. All right, this is after Judas left the upper room. And it says, now Judas, verse 3 of Matthew 27, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. He repented himself. Now, underline himself there. He didn't repent towards God. He repented in himself because he knew that his plans, it was all about himself. He repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou do that. See thou do that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed and went, and he hung himself. And the chief priests, they took the silver pieces, and they said, it is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. They even said that themselves. They knew what they were doing. They said, this is dirty money. We can't even put it back in the offering. All right, what are we gonna do with it? And they took counsel and they bought them a potter's field to bury strangers in it. Now, what is a potter's field? The potter's field was a place where the potter, where there was broken fragments of pots, of clay pots that were unmendable. They would go and be buried or tossed into the field. So a potter's field was kind of like the, you ever, ever been down at the end of coal rain and you pass that rumkey dump down there? You see all that rubbish amongst the dirt and everything like that? The rumkey dump? That's what a potter's field is, all right? The potter's field is like the rumkey dump where they got, it's, it's good for nothing. And so they gave the potter the silver pieces for his field. And where does it say they buried strangers there? People that they did not know were in the potter's field. Now, Isaiah and Jeremiah tell us that Who's the potter? Father God is the potter, right? And he molds us and he shapes us. And if we've got a flaw, he fixes us. We are the clay in the potter's hand on his wheel and he shapes us. And I find it so cool how there's an imagery here of the silver pieces being given to the potter for his field for mine and your redemption, because our lives were shattered and scattered like broken pots, amen. And that silver, those 30 pieces of silver that betrayed Jesus, put him on the cross for our redemption, amen. And the Bible says in Ephesians, like strangers, like foreigners who weren't part of the citizenship of heaven, we weren't, we weren't part of, you know, the promises of God that were in Abraham. We were strangers to the covenant, amen? Whew. We were strangers to the covenant, but praise God. The potter, the 30 pieces of silver, 
were purchased. Our redemption was purchased. And the Bible says, Peter says, his blood, much more precious than silver and gold. Amen? Much more precious. So, they bought the potter's field to bury strangers in. And look at verse 8. Wherefore, that field was called the what? The field of blood. All right? The field of blood. Even unto this day. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, or Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and they gave them to the potter's field at the Lord's appointed time, man, alive, as the Lord appointed me. All right, so even in Jeremiah, he prophesied this little detail that he would be betrayed, even him that eats bread has put his heel against me, and also he'll be betrayed. It even gave you the amount of currency, 30 pieces of silver, and it even gave it to who the money would be given to. It would be given to a potter for his field. Wow. So now, so now that you've got a little background on that, so Peter, understanding this and having knowledge of the scriptures, in verse 17, it says, now he was numbered with us. 117, he was numbered with us and had obtained part of our ministry. Judas was part of the 12. Now this man, he purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. He fell headlong. This is kind of, this is graphic. He burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gashed out. Now, what happened was, Funny enough, in this field that the Pharisees would end up purchasing from the potter was a tree. And Judas, in complete, you know, depression and anxiety, moved by the devil, took his cloak and went to hang himself with it. And it broke. So he actually did not take his own life. Because the hanging is not what killed him. What killed him was the fall. And when he fell, it says he hit the ground and his belly bursted open. And all of his um, entrails and his guts spilled out onto the ground. And so it's called the field of blood for two reasons. One, because it was something that was bought that betrayed innocent blood. But it's also where Judas shed his blood on the field. And nobody would go there. They considered the land cursed. All right? Now, for it is written in the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms talks about this again and says, now let this habitation be what? Desolate. No one's building on that plot of land. It is cursed. It's a field of blood. Let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein. And let his bishopric let another take, all right? Or let his office take. So that word bishopric is another, is, 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 the, is the word um, of the office that where we get our word bishop from, all right? If you want a little clarity on that, let's look at Titus real fast. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 1. 
Titus chapter one, Paul talking to one of his, 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 his disciples, his mentors here that he's, he's raising up in the ministry. All right, Titus chapter one, verse five, say amen if you're there. Titus one, it's, it's the very last book that starts with a T. All the T's in the New Testament are in the same group. Um, Titus 1.5 says, Now this cause I left thee in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I've appointed you. All right? Now look at verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. Now look how the New Testament there teaches us that the word elder and bishop are used interchangeably. Okay, they're not different people. They're speaking of the same person. But why is that? Elder speaks of the man. Bishop speaks of the office. All right. So he says, appoint elders, appoint a person. Right. And then he says, whoever person is in the office of a bishop or overseer must be found blameless. All right. So he uses the New Testament uses those words interchangeably, elder and bishop. One speaks of the man and one speaks of the office. And then later on, um, Peter tells us that that the elder in first Peter five, one, it says elders should feed the flock of God. Just like Jesus told Peter when he was uh, restoring him. What did he say? Do you love me, Peter? And what was Jesus? Yes, Peter, I love you. What did he tell Peter to do? Feed my lambs. Feed. The word feed there, poimen, to feed or shepherd, is the action or the responsibility of the office of the bishop who is an elder. So the elder is the man, the bishop is the office, and the shepherd or feed or poimen is the responsibility that this person has, or it's their duty. To do what? To feed the flock of God. Feed them what? The Bible says that they were followed the doctrine of the apostles, all right? Feed the flock. Teach the word. Preach the word. Feed the word of God, amen? And so you, so though, that's the, that's it. And many people, you know, and as I grew up, get these, the language confused there, but it's speaking of the same person, okay? So they're saying that Judas had this office, but obviously it's vacant now because the scriptures must be fulfilled. Verse 21 says, wherefore, I'm back in Acts now, wherefore of these men which have Accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Okay, so what he's saying there, sometimes you got to read that King James a little slow here. He's saying, somebody needs to replace Judas. Who's going to do it? And Peter saying, it should be somebody who has been there from the beginning, from the time he was from his baptism till the time of his resurrection. All right. So that's the qualification of whoever's going to be replacing Judas. Peter says, it's got to be somebody that has been there from the beginning, from his baptism to his resurrection. And there was only two that qualified in verse 23. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and another guy named Matthias. So one guy with three names and one guy with one name. All right. Verse 24 says, they prayed and they said, you, Lord, 
which knows the hearts of all men, show whether or not these two you have chosen. Underline in your Bible the word chosen. And it says that you may take part, that they may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And verse 26, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right, so in closing tonight, I want you to just notice the difference here between two people, Matthias and Paul the apostle. Matthias was chosen when the disciples prayed and they cast lots and they chose Matthias based on a rolling of the dice, if you like. Jesus commanded them to go to Jerusalem and wait till what? The promise of the Father. This is pre-promise of the Father here. This is before the Holy Spirit fell upon them, okay? Now, look at Acts chapter nine, verse quick. We're gonna dive into Paul's life just real fast. We'll be doing this throughout the study because this book is mainly, a bulk of the book is about Paul's ministry. But I want you to show you the difference between Matthias's calling and Paul's calling. That's what we're gonna end with tonight. The difference between the calling of Matthias and Paul. Acts 9.15, it says, um, let's start where uh, he speaks to Ananias, uh, verse 10 of Acts 9, Acts 9.10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. Now, who spoke to Ananias here? The Lord, Jesus spoke to him. All right, who spoke to, to Saul before he was called Paul? Who spoke to Saul and knocked him off his horse? It was Jesus, wasn't it? The literal Jesus, the human, human form, bodily Jesus that we said has risen up, came and spoke to Paul. Now he's speaking to Ananias here. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now look at the different ways that the Lord directs the church and directs his people. By voice, by vision, by dream, okay? Look at 13. Then Ananias answered, he said, Lord, I've heard by many of these that this man does much evil and he has done it to your saints in Jerusalem. In verse 14, he said, and here he has authority, uh, here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all them that call on your name. And listen to what Jesus says. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is what? He is chosen. He's a chosen vessel unto me, Okay. He's a chosen vessel unto me. Now, look at 13.2. Acts 13.2. A couple chapters over. So Jesus speaks to Ananias and says, he is chosen. Now, in chapter 13, the church was in Antioch. 
And it says in verse 2, 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, all right, ministered and fasted, Jesus didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast, amen? He didn't say, if you give, he said, when you give. He didn't say, if you pray, he said, when you pray, all right? Prayer, fasting, and giving, all right? It's a triple-bound cord that's not easily broken, all right? Those are the three awesome tools that God has given every believer to be an overcomer in this world. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. Now, who said this time? The Holy Ghost said. Before it was Jesus said. Now, Holy Ghost is saying Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto what? I have called them. Who's called them? The Holy Ghost called them. Jesus chose them. Amen? Now, last verse, Acts 22. Acts 22, verse 10. Now, this is when Paul was giving testimony about his conversion. And in verse 6, this is Paul speaking here. He says, it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come near to Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Not the sunlight, a greater light than that. The light that made the light. And I fell onto the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered and said, who are you, Lord? It's amazing that he knew to call him Lord. And he said unto me, unto me I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And they that were with me, they saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that was speaking to me. In verse 10, I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are what? Appointed to do. So he was chosen, he was separated, and he was appointed. Amen? And the ministry that God has for your life and for my life should not be, well, I don't know, Lord, you want me to go here? You want me to go there? You want Matthias? You want Jonas? No, we're not throwing dice to try to figure out which way to go. You're chosen, you're called, and you're appointed, amen? And it's not by luck of the draw either. It's by the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ that redeemed you with something more precious than silver and gold, amen? And every one of us that sits in this room is called by God, and you're a chosen vessel. And we need to seek God, say, just like they did in Antioch, Lord, Pray into the Lord, fasting and praying, God. What do you want for my life, God? I know I'm a nurse, Lord. Is there, what, what do you want me to do in this field, God? I know I drive school buses, God. What do you want from me in this, in this job here, Lord? Where, what, what, is, what are you doing here, Lord? Or Lord, do you want me to leave all, forsake all material and family and go to a country that you will show me? 
But when we're asking these things, I just want to be clear that it cannot be just picking straws, casting, rolling a luck of the dice. No, you'll know just like Paul knew. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So, I'm not saying that they missed it in chapter 1, Peter and them. But I'll tell you what, it's pretty funny that you never hear of Matthias in the scriptures ever again. Matthias is never mentioned. All right? I, and to me, what I see here is man trying to do it in his own understanding. Trying to just humanly come up with doing God's work. God knew those scriptures need to be fulfilled. Okay? But sometimes, how many know we can get ahead of God, can't we? We can get ahead of God and we can try to do it in our own strength and we come up with these weird solutions to try to determine the will of God when God determines his will for your life and my life by his voice, by his word. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor.